Ballet rehearsals held underground when the bombing gets close. Writers more used to wielding a pen have taken up arms and sirens break through the sound of a symphony orchestra. One year on, Ukrainian artists are resisting despite the ongoing onslaught from the Russian forces on their territory. And to talk about the consequences of the last 12 months, I'm joined by Ukrainian opera singer Ihor Mostovoy and artist Alyona Tokovenko, who swapped Kyiv for Paris last year after the invasion. Welcome to the show, both of you. Now, you're both based in France at the moment, and Alyona, you're currently doing an artistic residence here in Paris. How would you say your art artwork has been affected by the conflict that's been raging for the last year since you left. How do you see that influence in your painting? All my life I was a bit uh, a bit bloody and uh, a bit dramatic. And uh, after uh, it happened, it was like I was blocked. I didn't I didn't I didn't work with uh, painting or, or or something else. And it was hard for me to begin again. So and it was really really helpful when I when I came to France and they just give me a place to work and uh, they give me a place where to live and that was a moment when I realized that I can not just continue to work but I could try something to to realize uh, something like reflect uh, about uh, what I saw and how how I how it, how it was uh, with me and my relatives and my beloved people it's important for me now to show that Ukrainian art exists in like we are here and uh, we are not just about, uh, you know, the flag or sunflowers. Ihor, you've been involved in a number of cultural initiatives, events to raise funds for medical and humanitarian associations. How do you see the response in the art sector overall? Do you think that it has gone far enough? I think it goes, it does its work. Uh, what, what I want to say that uh, it makes people more aware of what is happening through the art. Uh, but I think it could be more. For, uh, it, it always could be more. Um, and, um, and that's what we're trying to do with uh, other artists and uh, with my colleagues uh, through bringing, uh, in, in our case, opera singing and the classical music into not only into raising money for Ukraine, but also in other events. For example, even bringing an aria to an opera audition, Ukrainian aria to an opera audition, um, shows Ukrainian music. And maybe, this is my big dream, maybe it will lead to some bigger plans of the opera houses, so maybe putting on Ukrainian opera, uh, maybe doing more Ukrainian mu chamber music concerts. This is my big dream, and I hope uh, that someday somebody from those big houses, famous mm, venues, yeah. will realize that and maybe uh, do something to promote more Ukrainian culture. Yeah. But also, at the moment, the focus is on raising funds yeah. because this is what is the most important thing in the, at the moment. Yeah, while also raising awareness, as you say. Now, indeed, artistic expression has been an important means of activism and resistance for those in and outside of Ukraine. Our reporters have been in Kharkiv, where they met with a street artist who's had to adapt to the current conditions. Luke Trego tells us more. Walking through the streets he calls home. Gamlet Zinkivsky, a Kharkiv street artist who's pondering nearly a year of war. The idea is that there is such a hole in time into which all of the horror flows and disappears. Gamlet signs his street name and that of his unit. 
the Khartia Volunteers Battalion. Wielding not weapons but a brush, the canvas for his art are the wounds left across his city by Russian cluster bombs. I look at these cars on the asphalt and thought that they looked very much like flowers. And I made a series of flowers with different inscriptions. These are the kind of flowers we have now. The scars from Russian strikes go beyond the Kharkiv pavement. My next work I want to show is dedicated to my dream of quiet nights. Because during the period when I painted it, I fell asleep during shelling, woke up at night from shelling, and the morning usually started with shelling. So we see there that uh, making art is a form of activism for Gamla. It's a political act, in fact. And Aliona, a previous series of yours explored how politics becomes personal. Uh, it's called Phantom Pain. Can you tell us a bit about the inspiration for that work and how you see it in the current context? Um, the inspiration was just about my grandfather, okay, because he was like a Soviet uh, person, not a uh, communist or like a part of party, but he was... Uh, human who was born in Soviet Union and he was lived all his life in the Soviet Union. So for him it was really strange how to how pe people tried to live in this new world without this huge country. So for me it was uh, something that I called phantom pain because it, it really sounds like phantom pain because you human can be in a different way. But he was against the uh, Soviet party all his life. So it was a huge question for me how it can be. And now, of course, it's, um, it's something that, that we had in our past. We can't like, cut it or something, because I, I think to cut the, the history all the time, it's a bit strange for, uh, for any societies. Mm. It's also about his uh, nationality, because my grandfather, he was a Ukrainian-Bulgarian. So it's a bit about my identity, about uh, that it was like a small nations in a huge Soviet um, country. Now we, we need to show people that they're existing. So Ukrainians existing and we are like uh, a huge country with uh, our traditions and with our uh, like uh, identity. Mm. And speaking of uh, identity, you were born in Odessa and grew up there and the Black Seaport has recently been added to the UNESCO World Heritage List as an endangered site, having been attacked repeatedly by Russia. Here's more from UNESCO's director on the need to protect that city. This city belongs to a world heritage. It concerns us all. We all look at it, we all see it, and we recognize its history and its contribution to heritage. There is an obligation for all the states that are members not to deliberately destroy this heritage. And of course, Odessa is one of those places where Ukrainian cultural institutions have suffered deliberate attacks by Russian forces. Another example is the theater in your native city of uh, Mariupol, Ihor. Um, but that's not really a new development attacking Ukrainian culture, is it? It's long been oppressed, even before the war, especially in those Russian-speaking areas. Yes, uh, th this is true, but it's not even... It's not a recent invention. It's also it's been for for years. It's been for centuries. Because just to make a simple example, everybody knows who Tchaikovsky is, right? They had a good, uh, very long communication with the Ukrainian composer Lysenko, and uh, Lysenko wrote an opera called Taras Bulba, uh, which was liked by Tchaikovsky a lot. So Tchaikovsky wanted to put it on in Moscow, 
and he addressed to Lucien Cossain that we would like to put your opera, but in Russian, which Lucien refused. So this is uh, this is a question. This is this is an example of oppression that's been going for a very very long time, mm. and the, which is happening right now. So this this is a problem that's been there for for centuries. Mm, again, that question of identity that you brought up. Now, two pillars of Ukrainian art are currently being celebrated here in Paris. The work of the late Taras Shevchenko and Maria Primachenko has been brought to life in an immersive exhibition that's accompanied by photographs and short films documenting the conflict. Catherine Viet and Marie Schuster report. It's an unprecedented close-up look of the works by Tara Shevenko and Maria Primachenko, two Ukrainian artists that are considered national treasures. This immersive exhibition, created before the Russian invasion, aims to showcase Ukrainian identity as distinctly separate from its powerful neighbor. In the wake of the war, the show now takes on a special significance. Russia is monopolizing our heroes and our history. We have to do this work of talking about our culture, of making our Ukrainian culture known. It is through these great exhibitions that people see that Ukraine is not Russia. Through this exhibition, Ukraine also pays tribute to its heroes. On the morning of February 24th, they could have fled. Instead, they remained refusing to let all traces of their culture and identity disappear with them. That morning I only had one idea in mind, to run to the museum and save the work on display. For all of us, Shevchenko is not just a poet and a painter, he's a symbol. He helped to create our nation and our identity. For the past year, the world has watched in horror as Ukraine fought to protect its cultural heritage against Russian attacks and to expel Russian troops. The immersive exhibition, A Year of Resilience, A Culture of Resistance, at the Grand Palais, invites the visitor to discover the soul of Ukraine. And through the works on display, documents the reality of a year of war and its effects on Ukrainians. And indeed, when it comes to promoting specifically Ukrainian uh, culture, Ihora, I know that we said you come from that Russian-speaking area, but you have said that you won't be singing in that language anymore. Can you tell us why? Yes, um, I, I, I don't want to be singing in the, in the language for now at least because I don't want to put in the value uh, the culture of the country that is killing my people at the moment. And uh, um, I think this is completely understandable. I don't deny that uh, Russian composers, there are lots of geniuses. We can say that uh, this culture doesn't exist, it exists. But uh, the problem is that culture is used for propaganda a lot at the moment. And I don't want to be a part of this mechanism and uh, don't want to be a part of the propaganda saying, for example, oh look, the Ukrainian uh, singer is performing Russian music, so this is fine. Uh, no, this is not fine. My Russian speak mostly Russian speaking city Mariupol suffered enormously uh, from uh, from Russian forces from the country that was uh, promoting it as a uh, as protecting Russian speaking people mm. which is not true but and then killing 
um, a huge population in that city, Russian-speaking people. Okay, well, very powerful message to send, whether it's uh, lyrically or visually. Thank you so much to both of you for coming in. We'll wrap up the show with a performance at the Ukrainian Cultural Center here in Paris, a multi-sensorial offering from the group TISC, who blend sound, light, and images for an innovative experience. That show's currently touring in Europe after concerts in a number of cities in Ukraine. We'll leave you with a taste. Otherwise, remember to keep up with us on our social media channels and our website. There's more news coming up on France 24 just after this. Правда